This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked in the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros, we have an incredible episode today. In fact, this chat was so long, I had to cut the episode in half. So you're going to hear the first half today, and the second half will be out on Wednesday. If you are the kind of person that cannot wait and needs to hear the whole episode, it is available on Patreon. There is a free trial, and there's also a $3 tier. So if you are interested in listening to it, Patreon is always an option. And speaking of Patreon, I want to say hello and welcome our new members, Emily Garten and Laura Harding Lemon. Thank you so much for joining and welcome to the club. So some content warnings before we get into this big two-part episode. It is a Scientology episode. We're talking to Mark and Claire Headley, who have been out of Scientology and speaking out publicly for almost 20 years. So there is quite a bit of cult trauma and just the normal things that we hear when we talk about Scientology. And so I just want to give you sort of a blanket. We're going to talk about Scientology warning and all of the things that come with it in both of these episodes. But it is a really funny episode. You know how we do. I think you will all really, really enjoy it a lot. I think the coolest thing about this episode is that we have a co-host Michelle is the reason that I have so many Scientology episodes and has been my connection to that community. Michelle was instrumental in setting this interview up. And so I asked her if she would like to join us because she knows more about the ins and outs of Mark and Claire's story than I do. And why not? Having a co-host is kind of fun. And it was really fun to have this conversation and have Michelle there with me. 
Also, we have been putting select podcast episodes up on YouTube as video podcasts. This one will be up and we are actually having a premiere with it. So if you are interested in watching this live with us, please go to YouTube and set your reminder so you don't miss it. And if you're listening to this in the future, the video is there. It is evergreen. It is linked in the show notes and you can find all of the information for all of the things that you would need to enjoy this episode even more linked below. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Even Jaja, the Scientology hating dog, is excited. Jaja, what do you think? See? Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I'm really excited today for a couple reasons. One, we're getting back into a Scientology story and we're going even deeper than we have before. Two, it's with two people who don't even know that they've intersected in my life in like a really important way and I get to tell them about it. And then three, we have a co-host and it's Michelle. Michelle does so much work helping me get really cool interviews. And this was one interview that she was instrumental in. And so I said, come be a co-host. And I really had, I had to twist her arm. You guys, it really did. So welcome to the show. Michelle is the co-host. And then also Mark and Claire Headley. How are, how is everyone? Good. Thank you so much for having us on. Very much looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Michelle, for orchestrating it. We appreciate so it. So stoked. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for having us. Yeah. I'm super excited. I've never had an official co host. So if you guys like this format, you know, maybe Michelle will show up in more episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about Scientology. We're going to be talking about whistleblowing. We're going to be talking about different kinds of policies and things. Right before we hit record, the Headleys let me know that they left in 2005, and so this is their 19-year anniversary of being Scientology-free, which I think I think of 2005, and it seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> then I do the math, and I'm like, oh my god, it was almost 20 years ago. So congratulations to the both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I know. <laughs> Eventually we'll get to where I mean speaking for myself, I was born into Scientology and escaped in January 2005. So 30 years in, now 19 years out. I can't wait till I hit that halfway mark, but that's going to be when I turn 60. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is exciting though. Mark, were you also born into Scientology? I wasn't born into it, but um, my mother got into it when I was about six. So we moved from Kansas City, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And as soon as, basically as soon as we moved to, to California, my dad was a musician and he was trying to make it big in a, in a rock band. So as soon as we moved to California, one of his best friends that he went to college with in Kansas and in Missouri, he was another member of the band and he was in Scientology. So he got my mom in, no. but he couldn't get my dad in. My dad was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And so my mom got in and my mom gave my dad an ultimatum, like if either you do Scientology or we're getting a divorce. And so they split up. Oh my and God. so that's that was sort of my introduction to Scientology was this broke up your family. From a young kid, I was very uh, wary of Scientology in terms of how is this going to make things better because it's already kind of messed things up pretty big time. And because we moved to California from Kansas City, um, everything was more expensive and we had a house in Kansas City. And so now we were living in a one 
room, like a studio apartment. That's what we moved into from a house. And so it was all of these things happening at once. It didn't really make me think that uh, all that great of Scientology. So. Wow. And talk about the sunk cost fallacy of like breaking up your family and choosing Scientology and like sort of being like, well, I really got to double down on this one now. Yeah. The craziest thing was, is I think my mom was a very outgoing, very like sociable person. But I think the one thing that she had problems with was relationships. She did have a, like an issue with having quality relationships. And I think that may have been one of the reasons why she got into Scientology. And the craziest thing of all is that when I was a child from, from, so from like, let's say six to 14, when I was still living with my mom or with my dad, my mom moved 16 times. Because every time she got a new boyfriend, she'd move in with that boyfriend and we would just pack up all our stuff and move. And I, it didn't occur to me until many, many years after leaving Scientology that I think my mom got into Scientology because she had bad relationships. And then she went on to have another 20 bad relationships. So it was sort of like one of these things like, yeah, it's not. And, and even to this day, she's married to some guy and she lives in Ohio and she sells hummus and at a kiosk in the mall. And you're like, she thinks she's been telling her family this since she's been in Scientology, that they have all the answers and they can solve all the world's problems. And, but she, whenever she's telling them all this, she's also usually asking them to borrow money, um, her brothers and sisters so that she can pay for Scientology. And it's like one of these things where they're looking from the outside going, I'm pretty sure they don't have all the answers because you can't even figure out how to get money to pay to get the answers. <laughs> that sounds really familiar. Right. I was going to say yeah, that's right? very familiar. It's like, very wild. <laughs> just, just try harder. Just put a little bit more money in. Eventually it will pay off. Keep going. Where have I heard that before? What did you do to pull it in? Exactly. <laughs> right. I know. I have to interject one of the craziest stories regarding Mark's mom. So after we got out, I was now pregnant with our first son and I went to a family wedding that his mom was there, but I was now a suppressive person. Mark wasn't there, but I was at this barbecue with his dad and Mark's mom went into the house to get sugar and refused to come back out. And she told Mark's family she could not speak to me because her, the, what was it, honey? The, the entire future of mankind on earth depends on her not yeah. talking to me. <laughs> She wouldn't come out of the house. Mankind's, <laughs> all of mankind's future eternity. That was the quote that she said. So I have a question. Did she believe that? She did. Yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah. So Mark's dad got angrier than I've ever seen him ever and uh, stormed out. And he was like, we're out of here. We're leaving. And I was like, okay. And then he told me on the way home what happened. I was like, oh gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's the equivalent of like, you know, things not going your way and locking yourself in the bathroom at the party. I'm yes. not coming out. That, and that is what she did. She went <laughs> like, in to get sugar and was gone for an hour. And her family were like, where's this sugar? Is this sugar ever coming back? <laughs> she's making it from scratch. <laughs> she's, she's cutting down sugar cane. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like David Miscavige has done that on a grand scale. Yeah, no, totally. And my introduction was just at a younger age. I never had a, a before and after comparison because I was my mother got into Scientology when she was pregnant with me. She named me after the state of clear, which is, you know, one of the significant. Oh, 
my god yeah no. yeah yeah i know i'm like i didn't uh, know that at I all i remembered that recently mark didn't even know that i, I couldn't believe I it like, when yeah. she told me i was like the what? Oh. <laughs> it's not something i generally promote <laughs> i mean is that like tom cruise naming his daughter surrey because of like surrey england and that whole drama that was happening back then it's the same kind of like scientology name i don't know it's a biblical name i feel like that's a conspiracy theory <laughs> Yeah, maybe. But either way, I, I didn't have, even though I was much younger, I had very similar parallels because, for example, my mother and father both worked in a Scientology organization in Manchester, England when I was born. My father decided he wanted nothing more to do with Scientology and left. And that then resulted in them getting divorced when I was three years old. And that's the last time I ever knew my dad to this day. So that was my first experience with Scientology disconnection is at age three, losing my dad. And I, it's one of my earliest memories, just remembering, thinking it was my fault that I did something wrong. And then shortly after that, my mother signed a billion year contract, joined the C organization as a single mom when I was four years old. Wow. Now, I've read biographies and, and accounts and talked to people about being in the Sea Org and having children. So what did it look like for you, Claire, being a child of somebody who was in the Sea Org? Ugh, where to begin? It's like a cross between an orphanage meets Lord of the Flies is, is about the most accurate description. On arrival at the headquarters in England, St. Hill, I was handed off to the nursery initially, so it was maybe three or four adults to probably roughly 40 to 50 kids, ranging in age from six weeks old to 16. By age six, I was made into a cadet, that's what they call it, the cadet organization, where you, for all intents and purposes, have children running themselves. So for example, I was in charge of a group of five or six, seven-year-olds, six or seven-year-olds, and I had to make sure that they brushed their teeth, that they ate their meals, that they made their beds, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and, when, and how old were you when you were in charge of them? Seven. There are no kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fundamental, like Duggars kind of thing, like the children raise the children. Yes. Yeah. And the children are all given positions. So, so like in Scientology, you have any organization has an organizing board and there's all different positions on the organizing board. So there was a 16-year-old that was the CEO of this organization. For two or three years, I was responsible for overseeing all the children's progress in studying Hubbard writings. And, you know, we had to learn the precepts of the way to happiness, for example, 21 precepts of the way to happiness by heart. We would do Chinese school reading out, you know, all these Hubbard doctrines that I wish I could ever forget them. Oh my gosh, I, I will pray for the day that I can't rattle it off because I'm like, holy moly, how do you walk that back? That level of programming and indoctrination from such a young age is uh, really, really detrimental. And it's why my personal perspective is it should be illegal to involve children in cults. And that's because of my own perspective now being a mother, becoming a mother after leaving Scientology made me really get perspective on the destructiveness of my own upbringing. Wow. So kind of similar question to Mark. 
growing up in Scientology, I'm going to assume your mom wasn't in the Sea Org. She doesn't seem like Sea Org material. You know, it's funny that you say that. My mom um, was not in the Sea Org for up until I was about, I want to say, 17. I joined the Sea Org when I was 15. And my job was to get people into the Sea Org for the first probably six to eight months of my Sea Org career. My job was to get other Sea Org members recruited. And so I I failed miserably, but I was able to get one person in, and that was my sister. And then my sister got my mom in. Wow. And you know, you're 100% called it on her not being Sea Org material, because in the Sea Organization, they have a thing. If you mess up when you're a Sea Org member, you don't get fired. You go to a reprogramming camp that's called the Rehabilitation Project Force. And my mother was on the Rehabilitation Project Force for a majority of her Sea Org career until I escaped in 2005. And because my sister and my mother were still in Scientology and I was now a declared suppressive person, they were both kicked out of the Sea Org. So they weren't allowed to be in the Sea Org anymore. And then my sister went on to have kids and have a family. And my mom went on to get married yet again. She, I think she got married three times while she was in the Sea Org. And then as soon as she left the Sea Org, she did settle down with the person she has been married to for uh, many years now. But she still is one of David Miscavige's loyalist soldiers to this day, my mother. Like David Miscavige is the savior of Scientology and without him, we would have, you know, it all would have crashed and burned and sh and she still to toes the line. And, and for a while, I didn't know what her thoughts were, but when we escaped from Scientology in 2005 and we started speaking out and we filed a legal a lawsuit against them and we went on TV shows and did all these things, they created um, what we call a hate site which is just everything that they could think of bad to throw at us. And my mother and my sister are prominent on that hate site. And I've never, ever been to the hate site because I know that it's really for me, for me to see what everybody thinks of me, but it's also, they use it to try to smear us and, you know, spread bad news about us and stuff like that. But so for the longest time, I never looked at it. And when we started the YouTube channel, people started sending me clips of the videos on that site. And I was like, the whole purpose of me not going to the site was so I don't see the stuff. <laughs> but some of the videos that they have up there, like my mom is talking about how when I was a kid, I tried, I tried to drown her. And um, this was when I was allegedly six. <laughs> the one time that I think I ever was in a pool with my mother. <laughs> and I was like, when I was six, I tried to do that. Like, I, I knew what was going on. I knew this 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 gal was going to get me into Scientology, so I was going to end it when when we were six. I'm just like it's the ridiculousness of it. But that was one of the few that got through to me. And, and to be fair, I think that was even my father who told me about that right before he had passed away. He said, "You got to see this thing they put up on the side of the Trudy Day." Yeah. And I was like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, evidently when you were six, you tried to end her." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> And then, and then of course, somebody sent me some, a YouTuber did send us something and it was, um, there was a woman who did a video and she said that I had given her some crackers. And then after she ate one of the crackers, I told her that I had licked all of the salt <laughs> off of them. And I was like, okay, so I'm in this cult for 15 years working for them for 30, for 36 cents an hour for a hundred weeks for 15 years. And what they've got on me, the dirt they've got on me is that I lick some salt off some crackers. And I'm just like, <laughs> you guys, 
this seems a bit ridiculous. Those are the only, I think, I think those are the only two videos that have made it through the firewall that I've got to get to me. <laughs> and even those, I've, I feel like it's kind of funny to me, like that totally. that's what they got. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so totally ridiculous. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. But the other thing is that the only thing you're talking about growing up in Scientology, I went to Scientology schools when I was little. My mom, one of the rules, if I lived with her, is that I had to do Scientology courses at night after school. So we would go to school from eight to five, and then we'd get off at five, and then we'd go from school in Los Angeles. We'd travel to these big blue buildings that they have in Hollywood, and then we'd go on course for two and a half hours each night after we spent a whole day at Scientology school. And that whole time I was dragging my feet. Like I was like, I'm not a fan of this. I don't like this. Every time you open up, they have Hubbard wrote all these books of Scientology policies and they're in these big green, like they look like encyclopedias. And there's like seven or eight of them that are the policies. And then there's like 20 of them that are the, the his technical bulletins on how Scientology works. But whenever I was in trouble, she'd go get one of those books and she'd open it up and she would read like, this says that you're in liability as a son. And then she'd read the formula that I had to do for liability. And I had to do all these chores and make up the damage. And so every time she went to one of these books, I was like, oh, great. And then it was like, well, now that you're old enough, you need to go and study these books on your own every night. And so I did that for many, many years up until I was about, I want to say when I was about 14 or 15, it was like, okay, there's no way out of this. And the only way out of this is maybe to join the C organization. And that's the only thing that's going to make her proud. And that was arguably, that was the proudest she ever was of me in my entire life is when I signed a billion year contract to work for the cult. From that point forward, all of the problems with we had we did had a very rocky relationship all the way up until that point. And as soon as I did that, somehow all of the problems that I had had before were now all gone and we didn't have any relationship problems. And to me, I didn't even realize that until after I had left that we fought and she would, I mean, she grew up on a farm when I did something wrong. I got bounced off of one of the walls or, or knocked in the face, like cold cocked. That's how discipline ran for where she came from. So that happened. And then once I joined the Sea Org, I was a perfect angel. I couldn't do anything wrong, even though I hadn't actually changed and the way I spoke with her, or the way I talked to her, or what respect I had for her. But the fact that I had joined the C organization, she was like, oh, you made it. That's it. To be fair, probably part of that was that from that point forward, you saw her maybe once a year if you were lucky. <laughs> it's not like we had any interaction. <laughs> That's true. But when I did see her, um, she wasn't uh, getting into fights and she wasn't yelling at me. She And also... Oddly enough, I was now a senior Scientologist and a senior Sea Org member. And so now she was in Scientology hierarchy. She was below me. Yeah. She was lesser than me. She was a civilian, a civilian Scientologist. They take orders from members of the Sea Organization. Yeah. And also in, when you're in the Sea Organization, the people that aren't in the Sea Organization that are in Scientology... They are badmouthed by David Miscavige on a full-time basis. Like these people, the people that pay to do Scientology are kind of like wannabes. They don't have the level of dedication to sign a billion-year contract. So the best they can do is give us all their money. That's their best bet. That's David Miscavige's take, yes. Yeah, that's their best bet is to give us as much money as we need from them. And even that, there's been many times where he's he's been talking about guys that have given them 10 or 
10, 20, 30 million dollars. And he's talking smack about them. And they're in trouble with him and having to do things to make up the damage to him. These people have given him millions of dollars and they still get treated poorly by him. So it's kind of a wild dynamic when you think about you're raising a kid. And then when you get rid of the kid and you turn him over to the cult, that is when you've done your job as a parent is to sign your kid up for, you know, 100 hour weeks when he's 15 years old for the rest of his life. Wow. Well, Claire, what did your transition from cadet into Sea Org look like? Yes, it was complicated. But so I was in the cadet organization until I was 10 years old. My mother then she was in this uh, a member of the sea organization she took a one year leave of absence from the sea organization because she'd gotten pregnant and this was right around the time that they implemented the rules of not allowing new children to be born into the sea organization and she had now remarried so now i had a stepfather who adopted me and was not in the C organization. No, he was not in the C organization. It was weird. Like in today's age, that would never be allowed. She had to get special approval to marry this person. He adopted me so that my father would have no legal rights over me. He had some big conspiracy theory about that, even though I had never seen my dad. So we ended up first being civilian Scientologists in East Grinstead, which again is close to St. Hill where the headquarters are. So I spent two. Uh, about two or three years there, no longer in the C organization, but still going to Scientology school and doing courses. Every weekend, I would have to spend the whole weekend studying Scientology. And then when I was 13, we moved to California. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, 
running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. My stepdad had a lot of debt because he was, he had gotten up to the upper levels of Scientology. He was very highly trained and he had, as a result of that, he had approximately $40,000 in debt that he had borrowed from another Scientologist to pay for the upper levels. Which is a disqualification (laughs) to be in the Sea Org. You're not allowed to be in the Sea Org if you're saddled with debt because you bring the liability of that into that world. So it's funny that he couldn't be in the Sea Org. And you can't pay off debt when you're making like, you know, however many cents an hour. It doesn't work. (laughs) 10 cents an hour. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even keep up with like a 1% of the interest on said debt with that rate of pay. Yeah. So he ended up actually becoming uh, the head of the Beverly Hills Mission, which he was that for many years. So we moved to Los Angeles. I was now 13 and my parents never put me back in school. I would go to the library and study by myself for a couple of hours here and there to try and bridge the gap between schooling in England versus schooling in America, which is a huge transition, you know, very different tutors and stewards in England versus Christopher Columbus and Ferdinand Magellan and what, you know, (laughs) the states and the constitution and all these other things. So I was trying to just learn that by myself at the library. A whole different group of assholes. Yeah, (laughs) just (laughs) different perspective for sure. Oh yeah, talk about going from Guy Fawkes, November 5th, that's the fireworks and da 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 and here's July 4th. I, I like the July 4th celebration far, far better. It's not nearly, doesn't have the dark, you know, I don't know, that's a little burning effigies <laughs> on bonfires. I know it's controversial to, to say that, but... Uh, you know, it's just a fact, right? <laughs> so yeah, so now I'm I'm in Los Angeles and I started going on, uh, again, going back to doing more Scientology training. And um, I spent a couple of years doing training at Celebrity Center in Hollywood. But the whole time, like from age 10 until age 16, I was being constantly hounded by recruiters because I had signed my first billion-year contract around the age of seven. It was required. Then when I was 10 and my mother was leaving the Sea Organization, they tried to convince me to stay. I was like, oh my gosh. It was this constant stress and trauma of being sucked back in. And finally, at age 16, 
that's when I started on my own billion-year contract in LA. So that was July 1991, and by September 1991, I was moved to the headquarters in Gilman Hot Springs, California, which is where I met Mark. And of note about that, by the way, uh, in order to go to that property, it's a confidential location to civilian Scientologists. So my mother and my stepfather were required to sign over guardianship of me to someone who worked at the headquarters that I had never met. And that was required for me to go and work there. Just because they didn't want to give them the location because it was so top secret because there's just civilians that they had to sign away guardianship temporarily for you to, wow, because you were a minor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you can Google where it is and it'll show up. Well, now you can. (laughs) Scientologists were not allowed to know where the location of that property was because that was where all of the people that managed Scientology, that's where David Miscavige lived. That's where L. Ron Hubbard's house was. That's That was like a super, super, like they used to put you in a blacked out van and blindfold yeah. you if you went to that wow. location. That used to be the wow. protocol. And then only in like the 80s and the in the 90s, it was like, okay, just don't tell anybody where it is, but we don't have to blind, you don't have to be blindfolded when you get driven here. Do they even pretend to still be secretive about that to this day? Do you know? I'm just curious because it it seems like being secretive of it now would push people towards looking it up. Seems counterintuitive, but hopefully that's happening. That's exactly right. I'm not sure how they spin that to their members now because it's sort of a weird thing. Yeah, I think it's worth commenting that the reason for that secrecy and the origin of the secrecy was because the the authorities were going after Hubbard for underhanded, illegal, questionable activities. So he was constantly avoiding anyone knowing where he was. And that's kind of what was the start of that. And of course, you know, as Mark always points out, let's not forget Scientology is responsible for the largest infiltration of the U.S. government in its history. Google Operation Snow White. (laughs) If you want to see the the sordid history of Scientology, it's all available on the internet now. But that's the origin of why the, the location was confidential. And now you can just ask your phone, like, yeah. Surrey, navigate me to Scientology base in Gilman Hot Springs, California. And it's like getting directions to Gilman Hot Springs. Like, the like, best thing is if you just Google, you can just Google Int Base or Gold Base. Just go on the internet and say Gold Base. And it just shows up right on Google. And it's labeled on Google yes. Gold Base. And All it takes is one leak. <laughs> Yes, somebody actually sent me a screenshot two days ago saying, oh, I was wondering if uh, Gold Base, Imp Base, same thing, the the Gilman Hot Springs 500-acre compound. I was wondering if it was getting rained on, so they they took a little screenshot right in the middle, said Gold Base. (laughs) On the webinar, (laughs) it says Gold Base. Oops. (laughs) That's great. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it is funny. Someone needs to like do that to the Petrolia location and just make it say Shelly. Oh, yeah. It does say that. It says where Shelly on the house. It says where Shelly on her Michelle, address. Michelle, that's a fantastic segue. So You're yes. welcome. For years and years and years, how long has Shelly been missing since? Well, backing up for a minute. During the entire years that Mark and I were at the headquarters, Shelly was by David Miscavige's side 24-7. She was at every single meeting he ever 
held, I was in the same organization. I was in Religious Technology Center for eight years, which is run directly by David Miscavige, as is the rest of Scientology, but that was the name of the organization. He's the chairman of the board, Religious Technology Center, and Shelley was his assistant. Even though there's no board, it's just him. There's not, there's no board. Yeah, it's just him, <laughs> board of one. <laughs> and Shelley ran me directly for four years of that. I was technically number three for a while working under Marty Rathbun, which didn't mean anything in terms of freedom or power or anything else. So we escaped in 2005. And then in 2006, we learned that Shelly had been vaporized, like she had been whisked off in the dead of night for all intents and purposes, um, and was no longer David Miscavige's assistant. She was not copied on any of his correspondence. All of these markers that to us was earth shattering, having with the 15, 14, 15 years of experience that we had had and seeing Shelly involved in everything as his, you know, the first lady or his right hand woman, whatever you want to call it. So then 2006 was when this massive shift happened and she was just gone. And then 2014 is when the, the Vanity Fair article came out. And somewhere around there is when nobody heard from her anymore. Not even her family, no, nobody. Like 18 years ago. Yeah. And when we were still there in the 1990s, when they got tax exemption, that's when um, David Miscavige knew that he had superpowers in Scientology because now he was the savior, basically. They were, when they got tax exemption, that was the key moment for Scientology. Because that's what L. Ron Hubbard had wanted to do, right? And so he was like fulfilling right. this promise. Yes. And it was always, until we're a religion, we're always going to be under attack. We need religious cloaking to be able to survive. And oddly enough, the IRS is who determines who's religious or not, which is kind of a crazy thing if you think about it. So as soon as they got that, David Miscavige, now all of a sudden, instead of having a multi-billion tax bill, that went away. And now they had an unlimited ATM money printer because now they didn't have to pay any taxes and they could get as much money. And now, and because it's a deduction, the people that are making millions and millions and millions in Scientology, now they can donate that to Scientology and use it as a write-off. So when you hear about these people that are giving them $20 million or $10 million, these people are making $50 million. They're giving it to Scientology because otherwise they got to give it to the government. It's not like it's sort of an easy way to level up in this, this secret club where you're a big man on campus because you gave him $10 million. But it's at the same time, you're like, yeah, you were going to, you were going to pay that to somebody anyway. But when he did that in 93, from 93, I'd say up until 2000, he got crazier and crazier and he started being more abusive and more, and it just kept leveling up. And when we left in 2005, right before that, in 2004, Shelly was pleading with us to like, you guys, we got to figure this out. Like we'd be in a meeting where he would just rip into everybody and beat some people up and throw some people up against walls. And then he'd storm out and Shelly would plead with us. She would say, you guys, we got to figure this out. This can't keep going. She was worried what he was going to do. And she was trying to protect us from him by pleading with us to do whatever we could do to make him happy because he's going to do something that we can't 
fix or we can't walk back or we can't, you know, say, oh, he was came from a bad meeting or whatever. I mean, the assaults were happening. It used to be like if you got beat up by David Miscavige, it was base news. Like, hold, did you hear what happened to Jeff Hawkins? He got the shit kicked out of him by Dave or whatever. And then it became a point where it was like three people today it happened to. And three people had happened yesterday. And it just became a normal thing. Like over the course of several years. It wasn't even news anymore. It was like you went to a meeting, you're going to get beat up. Someone's getting beat up in a meeting. Yeah, it it bears mentioning, by the way, in relation to the IRS tax exemption that they obtained in 1993, the event of that announcement is on YouTube, and I was watching snips of it recently. David Miscavige said in that event, well, it's a good thing we got this or we could be in jail tonight. Wow. <laughs> so it just goes to show you that this was absolutely a key strategy to gaining power and complete control on behalf of David Miscavige in relation to Scientology. That's wild. That's just, and I I noticed Michelle and I kind of looking at each other when you were talking about ways to level up. I feel like every time I do a Scientology episode, Raja is going to give her. She hates Scientology. (laughs) But every time we do a Scientology episode, we learn like how many more similarities to like multi-level marketing and the cult side of multi-level marketing totally. and the buying your ranks and the buying yourself to get up to these ranks to, to be able to make more money to then be able to pay more money into it. Yeah. Now reps are like buying product and not tax exempt donations, but it's the same sort. It's still a business write off for them. It's still a tax yes. write off. So it's totally. just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the other crazy thing is if you don't have the money, well, now what? Right. You bring in the people. If, if That's the two things you do in Scientology. And so they have these things called field staff members. And these are just civilian Scientologists. And their whole purpose in life is to get other people into Scientology. And when that guy signs up for his $1,500 course, they go, thank you very much. Here's your 15%. And so if you can get somebody to donate a million dollars, That's the ultimate. And there are many Scientologists. Their job is to be a professional recruiter for Scientology. That's all they do. That's their whole entire life. They just meet with Scientologists and get them to buy courses, get them to buy training, or get them to donate money to Scientology. If you're not rich, then you can, you got to get us people. (laughs) We had an episode with Alex apostate Alex about the field staff members and how the book sales and the recruiting works. It's interesting. MLM does the same thing. If you can't sell enough this month, just recruit people. And it's the exactly. same. It's the exact same thing. But then they make it, of course you can't sell anything. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but yeah, you can't sell anything because nobody wants it. Um, yes. So rack roundabout to Shelly. So Shelly is attached to the hip to David until sometime between 2005, 2006, where she disappears. I'm assuming this is around the same time as the Tom Cruise wedding where Leah shows up and says, where's Shelly? And people are like, oh my God, I didn't even notice she wasn't here because they're usually attached to the hip. What's going on? And that starts this internal where's Shelly, which eventually leaks out to people who are fascinated and intrigued and say, where's Shelly? She's been missing 18 years. People have no idea where she is. We've heard the police have called. They've done wellness checks. She's fine. She doesn't want to be bothered. We're a representative for her, whatever. There's new information. You guys have a video about it that I will link in the show notes because it's beautiful and all of the information and every question is answered. But let's talk about that 
question. Where's Shelly? Yes. Now? Yes. And by the way, special thanks to Michelle who sent me that screenshot saying, Hey, have you seen this? <laughs> I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> it's funny because we're I was on the internet looking at something and I saw, oh, there's a script, this thing. And on the internet I read, I sent this to Claire. <laughs> so if she if if she doesn't know about it, whoever you know, someone's gonna do something. And I thought oh my gosh, Claire already has this. I'm looking at and I'm thinking, I need to get a hold of Claire. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They already sent it to her an hour or two ago or whatever it was. Yes. It showed up in the Discord. So, it, yes. you know, it was brought to light by a member of the SPTV Discord. And I was like, I have Claire's email address. Yes. Like, yeah. Totally. And then we did a video. We literally, we sat down and did a video right then. I had to edit it and I had to do a bunch of stuff. So it came out like the next day or something like that. And then it became like a thing. And Tony Ortega said a thing, did a thing about it. But the thing was, is that we get a lot of stuff like this from people. And you could have easily or anyone could have easily just Photoshopped that document. So we had to verify it before we could do it. And when we verified it, we actually found out a ton of other stuff that we really haven't said or done anything about because it's just not, it's, we, we're still kind of investigating it. But when we found that, we also got a bunch of email addresses that we didn't think we were going to get. Mm -hmm. And they had email, Scientology, other Scientologists' email addresses that are also registered at that same exact address. Yeah. Oh my God. And the weird thing about this was, is that in all of the years that I was in at the international headquarters for 15 years, the church of spiritual technology was very, very, that's like, we didn't know where that yeah, was. Yeah. It's next level, next level secrecy. Yeah. And we didn't know where CST was the entire time we were at the base. We did not know where it was, even though it was only an hour away in the mountains in San Bernardino. We didn't know about any of these other locations. We knew that they were building them, but their locations were very, very confidential. But some of those staff members that worked at those different places at these vaults that they have out in the middle of these mountains, sometimes those people would come to the international headquarters and they would get auditing or they'd get counseling or if they got in trouble, they would get uh, interrogation, security checking. And so these over the 15 years, we pretty much saw all of the people that worked at these locations and we knew them and we knew who they were. The names that we got that are at this location we've never heard of before. We've never seen or ever heard of these people that are at that location. And we don't know anybody who's ever heard of these people. So that's also something very, very odd that they have a person there with Shelly that nobody knows. Yeah. And so this is what we're kind of, we're trying to check this out. We're trying to figure it out and see if we can figure it out. But there's definitely somebody somewhere messed yeah. up yeah. That, that her registered address is available for the internet. And I do have some Scientology spy files, some internal Scientology documents that specifically talk about how they are in contact with government officials and different people to figure out how to mask their voting records and their voter registration information. So this is something that Scientology is acutely aware of, that people are able to track down their people by voter registration. Yeah. And taking a step back too, just for context, because at least for, and again, from my perspective, as you pointed out, the disappearance of Shelley 
triggered Leah asking questions. And then if you kind of look at the overall history in the last 20 years, they could have just produced Shelly and, you know, resolved things with Leah. But no, uh, instead, you know, then what happened? We had uh, HBO documentary going clear. Then Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, three seasons of that show. You know, if you look at what happened as a result and really, yes, Shelly Miscavige is one person. But what about the many other people in Scientology that no one has seen or heard of in many years. So that's kind of where when we started on YouTube, we were talking and we're like, you know, I want to do a Where Shelley series and really talk about this as one example of a person who has been vanished because it epitomizes many of the things that are completely wrong with the lack of any governmental oversight, authority involvement, etc. How can a woman be vanished for 20, almost 20 years. You know, it's, it's absolutely insane, but she's not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. And for me, obviously having worked with her personally for during eight years, and then even closer for four of those years, it just struck me as, you know, this is something that people don't understand. So let's delve into this. Let's talk to all the people who knew Shelly personally, because that very easily could have been my situation. Had I failed to escape when they intercepted me in the Las Vegas bus station, having chased me across state lines, I could have been locked up and never seen or heard from again either. Yeah. I find it to be sort of, I'm, I'm finding a little schadenfreude in the way that Shelly was allegedly found because there's a voter registration with the address that's in a tiny, 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 in Petrolia, California, tiny, tiny little mountain, like, Population five, like nothing. <laughs> it's not like in Los Angeles or in a big city where it would be easy to cross-reference. So this SPTV member was literally going from like city to city and cross-referencing, looking for names and found Shelly and was like, oh my God, I found her. Like that's what happened. It's, it's amazing. So, it's yeah. Scientology messed up. Scientology wanted to register Shelly to vote more than they wanted to keep her identity hidden. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing that's really weird about this because it appears from the people that have left after we left that David Miscavige is not even putting on a show that he's married to Shelly. He's not with her. He, they go, he goes to events. He's doing stuff. She's never there. And he's always with this other woman that's his, you know, his new assistant. And so he could easily just divorce her and that'd be the end of it. It's a weird kind of thing. And then, but then you go, well, what did L. Ron Hubbard do? L. Ron Hubbard is doing the exact same thing that David Miscavige is doing. L. Ron Hubbard was evading process servers and trying to keep on the down low and nobody knew where he was. Practicing bigamy. His wife got in trouble, ended up going to jail for the largest infiltration into the United States government in its history, but they didn't get divorced. They didn't do any. He just banished her to Los Feliz, California, to L.A. He just bought her a house and put her there. And they had a Sea Org member or maybe a Sea Org member two. or two yeah. that cared for her. But those were her people. And they did whatever. They helped her and they she had her life, but she didn't do anything. She didn't go anywhere. And it was just she was just locked up. And meanwhile, um, Hubbard was just doing his thing. David Miscavige is doing the ex he's evading process servers. He's banished his wife. He's uh, he's got all these legal suits that are coming against him. So he's doing 
whatever the hat right up Hubbard left behind, David Miscavige is following it. Exactly. Or as the saying goes, history repeats itself. Yeah. <laughs> or the other saying, what would LRH do? that's a real thing did you know that did somebody tell you that oh no is it really a real thing what would ron do that's an internal thing in scientology that That was a campaign that they were running for a long time unironically who came up with the campaign l ron hubbard did (laughs) he was the one who wrote the he wrote the thing Whenever you find yourself in a bind, whenever you can't figure it out, just ask yourself, what would Ron do? That's literally something Scientologists do. You just inspired me. We'll, we'll do a, a whole shirt series that says, what would Xenu do? Now, what would Xenu do? Xenu is my homeboy. Xenu is my homeboy. Where is he? Xenu, where are you at? Well, you know, Mark does have Xenu is my homeboy merch already. So Yes, I own the website. I own the domain. That is my thing. Xenu is my we'll you both links. It's amazing. Get thank you gifts for having Perfect. us on. <laughs> I mean, we we also have hail Zenu yes. uh, merch as well. <laughs> okay, here's the funny thing. Okay, Mark, listen to this. So I live in San Diego. There's a Scientology Center downtown. They have their recruiters out on the weekends. They're always hanging out down by Petco Park because there's tons of people down in the gas lamp. And a couple of years ago, Abby and I—that's my daughter. She's 12. I think she was 10 at the time. We were handed a a personality test, like a pamphlet. So I did a quick YouTube short where I just like popped on the phone and I was like, hey, Abby and I are hanging out downtown San Diego by Petco Park and we just got recruited into Scientology. Like anybody that follows me would know that's a joke. The the name of the short, like in the caption, just said, hail Xenu. (laughs) (laughs) So many people, so many people commented they're like you know xenu's their enemy right and i was like you know i'm their enemy too right like the enemy of my enemy is my friend but also xenu's the good guy like kind of yeah xenu's getting a bad rap he's done some bad things but he's not as bad as l ron hubbard yeah (laughs) he's just getting a bad rap he was relocating a whole bunch of people from one place to another place if they drop accidentally dropped them into volcanoes oh come on you know accidents happen sorry and now if you ask him what his life goals are in this moment and i'm talking about you know the actual xenu in the discord server he will tell you that he is very dedicated to taking down the Church of Scientology. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Totally. Nice. There you go. See? And he'll also refer you to the Aftermath Foundation for more information on how you can also help. Michelle is so good with the segues. It's like she has my notes. And she doesn't because they're handwritten in my book. So let's talk about the Aftermath (laughs) Foundation. Uh, You guys, you are now, as of June of last year, the president of the Aftermath Foundation. Talk to us about the Aftermath Foundation, what it does, and how people can get involved if they'd like to. 
Yes, absolutely. We talked about Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, the three seasons of the show. And during the course, I think, of the second season, there was just gaining public momentum, gaining public perception of what Scientology actually does, the abusive nature of the organizations, and people's real life stories of how they'd been hurt, you know, abuse of children, credit card fraud, on and on and on. And the outpouring of support really inspired the formation of the Aftermath Foundation. Mark and I have both been on the board since its inception. We're all volunteers. <laughs> We're, you know, yes, we make mistakes. We learn. We've learned a, a heck of a lot during the process. But the goal is really to offer a support system for when people come out. Many times, those in Scientology are so isolated and cut off from the outside world. Their family, oftentimes lacking any form education, you know, no real world experience. And so Mark and I, when we escaped, we had, you know, I had $80 in my pocket, no resume, no nothing. So we're very well aware of the the challenges you can face to start your life over again. And the Aftermath Foundation's goal is to help with that and provide, you know, we've 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 done everything from teaching someone to drive, help them get a resume, help them get a GED, help them get a job, an apartment, their, you know, clothing, all of these things. That is our main focus is to really provide a support system to help people get back on their feet and be able to have a successful life. And it, it's honestly our passion project because it's something that we, Mark and I were doing it since we first got out in 2006. Yeah, I was going to say that we were doing it before there was an aftermath. <laughs> we had been doing it for years, but we just been using the, the financiers were Headley Savings and Loan. So uh, <laughs> when there, when an actual foundation got started, it was like, oh, we could still Still help all these people, but um, it, yeah. we can, you know, crowdfund it or it can, you know, other people can kind of chip in. We don't have to foot all of it and do it all ourselves. But and, and also, there's so many incredible people invested in this community that provides resources of people who want to help. Because obviously, you know, speaking for myself, I was born into Scientology. I know there's plenty that I don't know. I know I've worked very hard to build my own business. And so I know the challenges that people can face and having this whole community come together of, so for example, last year we had a woman reach out and she said, Hey, I'm a career counselor. We were like, amazing. That's we need that. And so we're really focusing currently on expanding our career counseling program and just offering mentorship support where we can. Again, it's, case by case basis. And many times we can't talk about the projects we're working on behind the scenes because of Scientology. These people, help from the foundation does not carry as a requirement that you speak out against Scientology. If a person gets to the point where they want to share their story, amazing. But, you know, it can be, it's a lot to recover from. And so that's our goal and our attempt to help with this cause. And we're really proud to say that we've helped so many people. We're helping more people now than we've ever helped before. And that has been made possible by wow. this foundation. That's so cool. Yeah. The only last thing I wanted to add is that sometimes we get contacted by people that are still in the C organization. Like they're, yeah. they're talking to us and then they're going back to work. And then 
they might talk to us a few days later, or they might talk to us a week later, but they're like checking in with us and, and we're trying to coach them or trying to, you know, tell them, okay, let's do this and we can do this. And, and we're contacting people for them or we're, because they are afraid that if they do anything or they, when you're in Scientology, they teach you how to read each other. And because you know how to read other people, then you manifest the things that you should be manifesting if you did something you're not supposed to do. It's sort of this weird reverse trick that like, oh, I can spot when somebody's lying. And then when you are lying, you do the thing that you're supposed to be able to spot. So they're so yeah. afraid of getting found out that we have to delicately negotiate this so that we can get them to that point. And I was going to say, one of those people has actually spoken out, and that's Catherine Olson, who was in the C organization when she contacted the Aftermath Foundation. And her story is kind of wild because the person who put her in touch with us was a United States government employee. And after he did this and, and and she got out and now they actually are are now getting married, Catherine and the guy who helped her oh escape. Gosh. And now he is the one who suggested that we sign up, the Aftermath sign up for this program. Oh, I'll cover that. Yeah. So he recommended to us that we should join. It's called the Combined Federal Campaign. It's the largest workplace giving program, most rigorously screened in the U.S., and so we signed up for that program. We were approved for it. So as a result of that, this last year, for example, I did presentations on the Aftermath Foundation to the FAA, the Department of Defense, uh, Homeland Security, um, you know, and, and every time I get on and, and say, hey, and by the way, the reason I'm here today is because one of the people we helped escape, they escaped with the help of a, a U.S. government employee. So, you know, it's just amazing. And, and the other thing I will say, too, that this last year, we've put some significant effort into establishing a law enforcement collaboration program. So I've personally met with multiple law enforcement agencies. And as a result of that, we have some amazing things in the works. Again, we're not going to promote them because, but, you know, in general terms, we can talk about them. But for example, one agency asked us to establish a crisis line just for them because they've run into situations that they knew were very suspicious, but they there, there's only so much they can do or say. So they asked us to set this up to provide them with additional resources to be able to help in situations where they knew that was needed. Where they know that they're out of their depth and they need to speak to somebody who knows what the person on the other end of this investigation or the 911 call or whatever's happening. And we've had this where we have been contacted by law enforcement and they told us about a Sea Org member that had tried to escape, but we were we were hours late to get to be there in the right place at the right time. And by the time we spoke to the officer, someone from Scientology had gotten a hold of the person and then they smoothed it over with the cops and that girl went back into the fold. I will tell you, that was when we knew we had to figure this out with law enforcement. But I'll also tell you that that girl had dinner with us at our house a few weeks ago. So she did eventually... We did eventually prevail in her That's case, incredible. even though it took, a, <laughs> it took longer. She did end up talking to the aftermath and we did end up being able to help her. And so yes. even though we were late, 
we did catch up and we did track her down and she did end up getting out of Scientology. But the more law enforcement that we can get a hold of and we can talk to them, listen, if this happens, because really you have a Scientology, major Scientology facility in your district, this is going to happen if you, it hasn't already happened. And most of these cases are like, if we would love to tell you the amount of times it's happened. Like almost every time we talk to them, they go, this is a big problem. And so then that's yeah. when we start seeing the Google ads on us and all these attacks that we see on the internet. We see, we go like, oh, we're really hitting them where they hurt because we, since, I wanna say since December of last year, we've been getting more funding. We've been getting more reaches, more help, more, everything that we've been doing is just more, more, more of the same. So we know whatever's happening, we know we're doing whatever we should be doing because Scientology are freaking out. The craziness on the internet's freaking out and we're helping more people. So people are like, why are you doing this? Or why are you doing that? Like we're, we hit a gold vein here. We're going to keep digging. <laughs> we're not stopping. We're, whatever we're doing, we know we're doing the right thing because it's working. Oh yeah. You're in a honey pot right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you factor in and go, you know, I've recently submitted declarations in Leah Remini's lawsuit. So you just feel we, again, we've been in this space doing this work for a long time and just seeing the momentum that is gaining is incredibly encouraging because it's very different now than it was when we first, like when we filed our lawsuit, for example, which was in 2009, which included counts of uh, human trafficking, forced abortion, violation of labor law, like that was our lawsuit. And at the time, a friend who had never been in Scientology said, oh, wow, you must, you must feel so good. You got your lawsuit filed. I was like, no, actually, to be honest, I feel like a target commercial with, you know, all eyes trained on me. Like they're going to come take me out. That's what they do. Yeah. And obviously Mark's series on the spy files has covered a lot of the documents we've received that they were absolutely spying on us tapping our phones, stealing our trash, going through like living in your house. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> I had a birthday party and there was six spies from Scientology Ugh. that were my quote unquote friends at the party. Oh my like, God. Six? Six. That were going to yeah. go meet with Scientology the day after the party and download all the different. It's how they get back in their good graces, right? Yeah, because they wanted That's to see right. their families. Community clause. That's the kind yeah. of the craziest thing is even if you don't like Scientology and you want to leave Scientology and you escape from Scientology, if you want to talk to your family again, we got to work a deal. We got to do something. And those people yeah. then spy for them or their Facebook wow. police or their internet police or their trolls on YouTube or Twitter. Or Yeah. Your series on that has been totally mind blowing to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just the fact that you had six people close enough to you who were like, I am willing to throw Mark under the bus to be able to talk to my mom again. Like 100%. Yeah. And, and by the way, it bears mentioning we were just getting our feet on the ground. We were living paycheck to paycheck. We had a newborn baby, but yet we represented this massive threat to a billion dollar tax exempt organization. How does that work? Right? Yeah. It's like when our names or our activities in the anti-MLM world show up in the weekly webinars of the MLMs that we're covering. You're like, oh yeah, you're watching. 
Yeah. I see you <laughs> doing something right. I see you seeing me, and I will be posting about this later. Totally. <laughs> We're going to keep this going as long as you keep poking the bear. The bear will be like, yeah. rawr, here's another video. Yeah. When people are watching the YouTube channel and they write in the comments, I just saw a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible ad. And then they'll say, I just saw a Scientology website ad on your channel. And I'm thinking to myself, I still don't think that Scientology understands how this That works. means they're seeing it too. Yes. Yeah, they, they jam up Google with ads and then the YouTube space just starts blowing up because when the Danny Masterson trial started, and this is how this happened. People are like, how did this happen? How did this happen? I know exactly how this whole YouTube thing happened is that during the Danny Masterson trial, Scientology was spending millions on Google ads. So when you do that, you're basically gaming the algorithm and you're making it choose Scientology content to push to the top of people's recommended <laughs> because that's what their Google's getting paid to serve up Scientology stuff. So when they do this and then when they, oh, there's a whole bunch of YouTubers now, we need to pay for more ads. And so then they pay for more ads. And this is the best part. You'd think, well, Mark, you just told them what's happening now. They're not going to do it. No, no, no. Because I told them that they're paying for this and they're paying for the ads is a stupid idea. Well, I guarantee you, David Miscavige is the one who said we need to put more ads. And because I'm saying not to do it, he can't not pay the ads. He's going to keep doing it <laughs> until he's right. And so you got to double down on those ads. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. it's sort of a crazy thing that Scientology is funding the exposing of Scientology. Same with MLM. Beachbody is the, the ad that shows up all the time. Not only does it show up on like all of the YouTube videos, and there's also like a lot of these coaching, these MLM coaches that'll show up on the YouTube videos, but Beachbody somehow, well, I know how, and I'll tell you guys the story, snaked their way back onto my podcast. So when I joined my new ad network, they sent me a list of all the advertisers and they said, cross off the people you don't want to work with. And Beachbody was one of them. And I was like, not them. And I didn't have a Beachbody ad for a I didn't really know they were MLM. Yes. That was my MLM. Really? Yeah. I'll send you a link to my episode of the show you're on right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure we know somebody really high up at that place. Uh-oh. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I can't say I have any involvement other than buying a few bags of shake. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> How could you bring yourself to buy something called Shakeology after Scientology? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Shakeology, Scientology. Come on, Claire. I know. I know. I was I was creeped out by that. But but to be fair, it tasted kind of good. <laughs> I was just in Vegas and there was a place called Pieology and I took a selfie with that. I was like, respect. This is funny. Pieology. Yeah. And also. Yeah. What could happen in Pyola? Right. You're just, you might gain some weight, but other than that. Surprise. Yeah, you're good. Well, that's what I thought too. Like shakes, it's, a shake <laughs> is a shake. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it comes with a pyramid scheme and a cult, Claire. Oh, no, please <laughs> definitely send me the link, Michelle. I'm, I'm going to educate myself on that front for sure. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. So I, I told my agency, I said, no beach body ads. And they're like, not a problem. We get it. Right. And then Beachbody changed their name to body. Nice. And I started getting beach body wow. ads again. And all of my listeners are like, I heard a beach body ad today. And I had to email back and I was like, hey, 
you know, we already did this. And they're like, that's so strange. Like it says that you don't. And I said, they've changed their name and he had to go in and find the new one. And like, because they changed their name. So anybody that was listening and heard those beach body ads, that's why, but yes, I'm so thankful to my listeners who are like, you have a culty ad. I'm like, let me email somebody. Yeah. And and we told you that we got sucked into an MLM short. Yeah. Shortly after uh, we got out because you know, it it sounds too good to be true. You go, Oh, this is amazing. The sales pitch was like, and now I know, you know, in my old age, yeah, if it's too good to be true, it's because it's too good to be true. (laughs) Right. So you guys did Mona V for how long? Mona V is the the juice, right? I was called the Tahitian Nani juice, but I think that might be something else. But yeah, no, it's the Asai or whatever. Right. Yeah, no, it was a friend of ours who was also a former Scientologist. And and so we went to this meeting and I will say, like, I remember that moment. I'm that like, was the oh, end. No. Oh no, not this again. Not this again. They were like, we want you to come to like, it's like a rally. We want you to come to this rally. We're going to, we're going to network with all these other distributors and all this. And we were like, what the hell? And the people getting up, telling their successes and all this, we were like, reverse, reverse, reverse. Cults for amateurs. (laughs) It was a juice. It was sort of like, who cares? It's some kind of health juice. And also I was trying to throw my friend a bone. He was like, Hey, can you do this? It's going to help me out. I was like, okay, whatever. But then when we went to this meeting, I was like, Oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. So, I mean, we bought a bunch of bottles and then, you know, ended up giving them away and was like, oh, yeah. this is craziness. But it was funny. The count that, on that. Yeah. It was funny <laughs> that it was like, you know, oh, just you sell this guy a bottle and if he buys it, then you get a free bottle. You know, it's just like, whatever. I don't, this is, you're not going to, we're not going to Hawaii from selling this stuff. That's for sure. You know, it's whatever. But then when we went to the meeting, I was like, oh, yeah. These guys are bad shit. This is this is some wild stuff. Yeah, this is a cult. Yeah. But you know what the crazy thing was is they had all these guys from General Hospital. Of the actors, the main characters of the show were the guys putting on this whole thing. So what? I'm telling you, this Mona V thing was it was like a Hollywood, it was a Hollywood cult within Hollywood, the cult of Hollywood. Hollywood meets MLM. Luke and Laura? It was TV actors hooking up their friends and family. And then, you know, you get to go hang out with the general hospital guys. And I was like, what's general, you know, we had, we had a 15 year media blackout. So I'm like, what's general hospital? (laughs) You know, like, why do I want to hook up with some guys that work at a hospital? Like, no, it's a TV show. I'm like, there's a TV show about a hospital. Oh my God. What? How boring is that? They're like, what cave have you been living in? And we're like, well, about that. (laughs) We've been up at the Gold Base Cave. (laughs) Not a lot of General Hospital being played. No, (laughs) definitely not. No Seinfeld. No no Simpsons. None of that. (laughs) We we were missing South Park. Yeah, we were missing a (laughs) lot of cultural references for a lot of years. You know, we're still working on that. (laughs) We had a watch party and watched the South Park episode about Scientology what, like a month and a half, two months ago with my husband. Nice. And I, I recorded it. I'm never going to upload it because there's too many copyright. I'm not editing it, whatever. But copyright it was such city. a funny conversation. And I swear to God, watching it back when I did go to edit it, I brought up how funny your guys' story about having seen that episode, Mark having seen that episode and then asking Claire about yeah. it. Yes. I probably brought it up five times while we were <laughs> totally. watching that. <laughs> That's literally how it was when we watched South Park up until then. No, moment, you watched it. I didn't watch it. I well, was still afraid. I was like, 
She was in the other room while I was watching yeah. it. And every once in a while I'd yell, I can't believe, is this real? But I had never heard about the aliens until I watched the South Park. Really? Did, yeah. And nothing happened to you? No, I never did any counseling. I never did you didn't anything. Well, you didn't explode or anything because you learned about Xenu before the time? Oh, when I found out? No. I'll tell you this. I might have like put on a good show. Like, I don't care about Scientology, whatever. But when I watched that episode, I was like, okay, I mean, I just did this. I just watched it. So, and I told Claire, I this said- This is the moment of truth. And oh, but also when, after I watched it, I, I, I was so in shock that I read all of the OT levels, all of them on the internet. You confirmed it. So not only did I find out about OT3, I yeah. read all OT3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I read all of them in one sitting. So I told her the night before, I said, if I'm dead in the morning, uh, you know it was real. And if I'm not, it's bull. And I woke up in the morning, I went... Not even a sniffle. That's a bunch of bull. It's like it's like watching the ring and being like, I hope I don't die. We're free, baby. Yeah. It's like on the eighth day. It's like, it was fake. Yeah, even up until that point, I was like, I don't know. Because, you know, I, that, uh, my whole, I was 32 years old. My entire life I've been told, if you find out about this stuff, you're going to get pneumonia and you're going to die. That's all I've known my whole life. And then I leave and I'm like, I don't want to know about any of that. I just want to live my life. And then South Park is beaming into my living room. And when I watched it, I thought that I, and even then I still couldn't believe it. I was like, Claire, because yeah. it says at the bottom, Scientologists yes. actually believe this. It says, and I'm like, they can't say that if it's not true, that there's no way this can be this. And something is not right here. And I yell, Claire, huh? Yeah. And she's like, Basically. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, you know, you can't tell anybody. Oh, so Claire knew because Claire was a higher OT level than you. And you yeah, I haven't even know. read Dianetics. So she was like, yeah, yeah I know about Xenu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know about that. I know. And, and thus, Mark, as blown for good, was born. He's like, I ain't never going back to there. <laughs> but yeah, no, wow. it was, uh, it's, it's just crazy. Because in Scientology, so... Yes, I had gotten up to OT5, whatever. But even if Mark had been on OT5, we would still not be allowed to talk about it. No Scientologist is ever allowed to compare notes. So you're in your own little sphere, even if you go, wait, what? Which is what anybody we've ever talked to go, what What were you thinking when you read that material? And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> but at that point, you're so deep into the labyrinth that if you say, hey, this is, this is a bunch of nonsense, you're going to bring the wrath of Scientology in on yourself and there's going to be consequences. And if you do tell another Scientologist about OT3 or any upper levels and they are not that level, you are instantly to be declared a suppressive person. Yeah. They don't mess around with that. No, and I think I think it even comes with a penalty of like $100,000 per instance. And, you know, for me at the time, I was making $46 a week already. <laughs> so yeah, that was going to be a big bill. And again, having been born into it, I believed what I had been raised to believe. You know, they break down your critical thinking skills for me starting at age four. So who am I to question L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology? You know, obviously now here I am today. Thank goodness. Especially if you're confused <laughs> and you're supposed to ask yourself, what would Ron do? Ron's the one who wrote this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't think I want to know the answer to that, actually. (laughs) So, Mark, as one of the earliest, like, whistleblowers, I mean, not the earliest, earliest, but 2005 is pretty early when you guys left. As as some of the earliest whistleblowers, and wasn't much of an online community back then either. Smartphones were just becoming a thing. That Facebook was not a thing unless you had a college email address. MySpace was kind of thing. So there wasn't a lot of social media. There wasn't a lot of things that were readily available for you to like hop on the internet and be like, Scientology is a scam. So what did those early days of like whistleblowing and community look like compared to what it looks like now? Well, first of all, there was a very, there's a long line of whistleblowers that go all the way back to the 1950s. So people have been, there've been people talking about this since 1950s, but they could only talk to as many people as they could talk to. So that right. is really Scientology's biggest problem is that people are able to talk to more and more people as the decades go forward. And that's really the thing. The secrecy is what has kept them going for 70 years. So that's sort of out of the bag. But when I got out in 2005 and I watched the South Park thing, after that, I thought, okay, I'm going to go on the internet. I read all those OT levels. And then I saw all these places where ex-Scientologists were writing things. And there was two big websites at that time. There was the Operation Clambake, which is a, a website oh, yeah. that ha- was, it was basically a repository for all of this information on Scientology. And Scientology, no matter what they did legally, they could not shut this website down. So as part of that website, they had a message board and it was called Operation Clambake Message Board. And I started reading this thing. And then I saw a lot of things on there that were that just old or speculation. And I thought, well, I was just there, so I can tell you all kinds of stuff. And also, there weren't a lot of people on there that were from the international headquarters. They were from a local Scientology, San Diego Scientology org, or they might have worked in Los Angeles at that big complex, or they were a public, a, sci- a civilian Scientologist. So it was kind of a, a mashup of all these different people, but they didn't have any current info, and they didn't have any info from the top. And I needed to, in order to post... I had to figure out a name, but I was like, well, if I put my real name, Scientology is going to just knock on the door tomorrow morning after I post this. So I've got to. <laughs> Which they did eventually yes. when they figured this out. <laughs> so I've got to at least kind of fly below the radar for a little bit, which is actually a Scientology term for people that know Scientology is a fraud and they don't want to do it, but they don't want to say anything because they'll lose their family or their business or whatever. And so they call those people under the radar. That's the Scientology world term for people that are out, but they're pretending that they're still in. And so a lot of those people were also posting on there under assumed names and whatever. So I made up this name blown for good because a lot of people that escape or blow from Scientology in Scientology, they call any unauthorized leave a blow. Unauthorized departure. Yeah. Is a, is a blow. You're blown. But they always try to track these people down and get them back. And a lot of times they do get them back. So I wanted to make sure they knew that I was blown for good. I was never going to come back. And so that's what I would post under. I was posting on there every day. 
And I was telling all these stories that were happening at the international base. And so it became a thing where, oh, there's a, a going to be a new posting this week. Everyone's waiting to see what this posting is going to be. And then I started posting on another message board called the ex-Scientologist message board. And that was another forum that was very similar, just a newer version of the same thing. And a lot of the same people would post on it. And it's the same thing. You got the shit stirs in there. You got the people that work there. You got the people that don't know anything and they just, they're telling you all their opinions because they know better than anybody and because they weren't in Scientology. So obviously they know better. And so, you know, all those kind of people were in there. So not everything's changed. Yeah. I was going to say, are you sure you're not talking about anti-MLM? <laughs> I'm telling you, these things have been going on for decades. But the best part is that Scientology's spy wing is called the Office of Special Affairs. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon for exclusive content and join the community on Discord. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.